Hello and welcome to the Vote Her podcast because when you vote, good things can happen. Hi, it's Mira Davis, radio and TV host and political enthusiast. And I am Jen Jordan, state senator, dog mother, regular human mother, and a proud suburban woman this week as they get out and get their vote on. Well, I live in the city, but I'm just crossing the line of being a suburban woman. I can connect to a suburban woman. And I know some of the rhetoric that's been going out there is certainly not what a suburban woman wants to hear. We will gladly bring you into our circle of love. I appreciate that. Well, let's get started, Jen, with voting. Early voting has begun, and it is so exciting to see Georgia making national news in some good ways, in some not-so-great ways. So some stats here. as At the time we're recording this, according to Stephen Fowler, who works at Georgia Public Broadcasting, he's great to follow on Twitter, by the way, uh, and I think we should have him on the show at some point. Uh, he definitely uh, aggregates a lot of stats. One 1.1 million people have voted, huge jumps in Gwinnett County and Henry County, 157,000 people have voted in the absentee at the time we're recording. That's incredible. No, I mean, look, we have passed 1 million voters. That is just nuts, nuts. So, but we've got to keep it going, y'all. Keep getting out. Keep voting. Send in your absentee ballot. Show up early. If you're in Fulton County, go down to State Farm Arena. It is like the easiest way to vote. Uh, You pull up, free parking. You get shuttled to the front door. You go in. They've got 300 machines. 15 minutes, 20 minutes, in and out. It's brilliant marketing by State Farm Arena and the Atlanta Hawks to do this. The idea that Steve Coonan came up with and was an activist on voting. It's just such an easy thing because it's doing your civic duty, but it's also promotion for the venue and the team. Everybody has a good feeling about it, and it's ultimately really, really easy. There's weekend hours you can go vote. I mean, there's just so many opportunities. I don't know about you. I had FOMO because I mailed my ballot in. It's already been received. I got my ballot tracks alert, and I saw people in line, and I was like, oh, I want to vote again. No, I felt the same way. My husband went the first day of voting, and I was like, why don't you just wait in the morning, go down to State Farm? He was like, no, I'm going. Went and stood in line for two, two and a half hours. He got back. It was as if he was on a high. Like, he was dancing around. I haven't seen him that happy since pre-2016. It's pretty exciting. Okay. And now while we talk about voting, we got this great letter that I want to read some of it to you. It's from Francie Tedder and she wrote it to us. It's voteherpodcast at gmail.com. You can send us email anytime. We absolutely love it. Francie writes, my name's Francie. I'm 11 years old. I live in Savannah and I enjoy your podcast. I wanted, to, I wanted to tell you about an experience my mom had yesterday. This was Monday, the first day. Uh, It was the first day of early voting. My mom had to leave us to go vote. She left us at nine. She said she'd be back by lunch. A few hours passed. It was lunchtime. I texted. She said the line was moving slowly, but she'd get there soon enough. A few hours later, it was about three. We were so surprised she hadn't gotten back. At 5.33, she texted. She finally voted. It took eight hours waiting to cast her ballot. So, and she just goes on saying that she'd love for us to talk about voter suppression, her mom's experience, and Georgian's experience, and her mom's name is Anne Hart. So, Anne, 
thank you so much for waiting in line. It's incredible. I mean, I know the first day of early voting in Cobb County, there was at least one early vote site where some people were voting. I mean, I think they waited in line 11 or 12 hours. That's just, that's just so, that that should not happen. Um, But the good news is it looks like that the issue was some kind of bandwidth issue with the Secretary of State. Like at first they were trying to say, oh, there's just so many people. What are we going to do? Come to find out it was an issue at the state level. They have purportedly fixed it. Um, So fingers crossed that early voting is going to go a lot more smoothly as we move into um, the next two weeks. And Francie, who wrote us this email, it is the most beautifully written email. I was blown away by this. So Anne Hart, uh, Francie's mother, you're doing a great job. Absolutely. And while we continue to talk about strong, powerful women, we want to address the Amy Coney Barrett hearings just from a perspective of a woman, no matter how you feel about her. I have conflicted feelings about the whole thing, but it's pretty much going to go through. So let's leave it at that. There's no taking away. She is a brilliant and accomplished woman, which is why I was in such a state of shock when Senator Kennedy from Louisiana asked this question. I got one last question. Hope it's an easy one. <laughs> it is. I'm, I, it's, it's a sincere question. I'm generally curious. Who does the laundry in your house? <laughs> um, we increasingly have been trying to get our children to take responsibility for their own, but those efforts uh, are not always successful. So we run a lot of loads of laundry. Well, you're a very impressive, Judge. This is the most revolting thing to me. And I think uh, women, Democrat, uh, Republican, no matter what you are, if you're a lady and you're being asked who does the laundry when you're at a Supreme Court confirmation hearing, that is not right. No. I mean, it was, and it was jarring because, especially because when the women senators were questioning her, I mean, you know, it was pretty high level back and forth, right? And then Senator Kennedy tries to do this kind of aw shucks well, who does the laundry little lady kind of act? I mean, it really just, it undermines, it undermines Barrett, right? She was kind of folksy about it too. I, I, you know, I guess she's just preaching to their choir. I think I, 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 she sort of laughed it off. Yeah, but a lot of us, especially if you're raised in the South, I don't know where she's from, but like, you know, we deal with those kind of things every day where their men are a little bit demeaning or, you know, they, they say stuff like, oh, you should smile more or, you know, whatever it is. And they think that they're being all nice and helpful. And at the end of the day, they're they're treating you like someone less. It's very annoying. And it is clearly extremely sexist and gross. And I think conservative women should be outraged at that. Oh, no doubt. I mean, And and I'm sure they are. I mean, it's one of those things where it was completely unnecessary, but it also shows you kind of the lens that some of these GOP senators are looking through, that when they see Judge Barrett, who is as accomplished as she is, all they see is someone who does the laundry. Right. And along those same lines, although I didn't watch much of it, but there were dueling debates where there was a town hall with Trump and a town hall with Biden. And a lot of that has faded into the wind because the news cycle moves along. But 
I was fascinated by some of the conservative outrage that Savannah Guthrie was pressing and asking two tough questions. I mean, this is unbelievable to me. She was actually giving a real interview. What's happened to you people? The debate commission's rules, it was the honor system, would yeah. be that you would come with a negative test. You say you don't know if you got a test on the day of the debate? I have no problem. Again, the doctors do it. I don't ask them. I, I test all the time. And they, Did you take a test, though, you, on the day you know, of the debate? You know, if you ask the doctor, they'll give you a perfect answer. But yeah. they take a test, and I leave, and I go about so my you, business. So did you take a test on the day of the debate, I guess, uh, is the I bottom line? I probably did, and I took a test the day before and the day before, and I was always in great shape. You have so much power and influence as president. You could go it. to your, you could require way, it at your rallies, I and you could say, wear. everyone put on a mask right now, and the University of Washington says Savannah, you would save University lives. University of Washington, and you have other places say different things. Let me ask you about QAnon. It is this theory that uh, Democrats are a satanic pedophile ring and that you are the savior of that. Now, can you just once and for all state that that is completely not true so and that disavow QAnon yeah. in its entirety? I know nothing about QAnon. I just told I you. I know very little. You told me, but what you tell me doesn't necessarily make it fact. I hate to say that. Well, and, and that's just it. It's like she was she was following up appropriately like she should. And look, Trump is not an easy interview and definitely not an easy interview when you're a woman because he kind of takes the sneer factor up a little bit like, oh, come on, you know better. And it's it's one of these things where as a woman, you can just kind of you feel, you know, you kind of feel yourself tighten up a little bit because you're like, ugh. What's she going to do now? Like, is she just going to kind of back down because he's trying to bully her? Or is she going to kind of come back at him? And she came back at him. Well, that's what's amazing, too, which is why, you know, it's a running joke between Jen and I that I am fascinated with blonde Republican women. You are. And so I, I, I go back to when Megyn Kelly did the presidential debate before the 2016 election, and she asked this question. Mr. Trump. One of the things people love about you is you speak your mind and you don't use a politician's filter. However, that is not without its downsides, in particular when it comes to women. You've called women you don't like fat pigs, dogs, slobs, and disgusting animals. Your Twitter account- Only Rosie O'Donnell. Thank you. For the record, it was well beyond Rosie O'Donnell. Yes, I'm sure it was. Your Twitter account has several disparaging comments about women's looks. You once told a contestant on Celebrity Apprentice it would be a pretty picture to see her on her knees. Does that sound to you like the temperament of a man we should elect as president? Then she got harassed by Trump and fans, and now she is completely in the Trump cult. It is bizarre. I don't understand what happens to these people. And her as a woman, I feel should be kind of empathetic towards Savannah Guthrie. But I then again, we don't know because NBC and there's a lot of murky stuff around her tenure there. Yeah, I think the thing with Megan is that she thought that she could break out of needing to please kind of the, the Fox News base. You know, she she went to NBC for a period of time and she failed. 
And so I think what you're seeing now isn't that she's exactly someone who's a Trumper. It's just that with respect to her brand and how she makes money, she has to at least act like she is. That is a really, really good point. I don't follow her, but if I'm in the mood to be outraged, I do check her account. And I'm just like, what? happened to her. But then I'm like, okay, this is probably who she always was. So let's move on to another thing that got me outraged. Not outraged. It actually made me a little excited. This was the uh, senator debate between John Ossoff and David Perdue and the libertarian candidate uh, who's just a pain in the ass. His name is Shane Hazel. Let's give him that. I actually think he didn't do that bad, but it's almost, it's he's just a spoiler at this point. So I watched the debate. I was actually really looking forward to seeing David Perdue being asked actual questions because it's not something he's had to deal with at all. And I thought he was, I thought he kind of flopped. Well, what was weird is, and I guess we were able to see this because of Zoom, or, or maybe it just kind of really stood out. He kept repeating kind of these these lines, you know, that his his um, campaigns thrown out there. But every time he would repeat it, he like almost had to would look down at notes. And, you know, John Ossoff called him out on it and said, basically, can you stop looking at what your staff has written and just answer the question? Senator Perdue, look up from your notes and answer the question. Do you believe President Trump has done everything in his power to protect the people of Georgia during this pandemic? I absolutely do. That kind of blew me away because there was so much hubbub around Biden reading a teleprompter, which of course he's reading a teleprompter. I'd have to read a teleprompter if I were going to do a big public event like that. Trump reads a teleprompter. So it was low hanging fruit for Ossoff to to target in on that. But I think he did really, really well. Ossoff did. And and I feel like Purdue, all he said was radical socialist agenda. Right, and had to actually look at his notes, though, every time he said it, which is what kind of shows you that it's laughable to even be pushing that out there in this U.S. Senate race in Georgia. It's kind of mind-blowing to me, but I thought Ossoff did well. There are going to be a couple more. I don't know how many people are actually watching these smaller debates. I think some of the ones in the other states are getting more publicity, like the Lindsey Graham, Jamie Harrison one. I saw the one in Iowa. Right, the Greenfield Ernst one, where Ernst didn't didn't know her uh, Iowa stuff. Well, thank you very much. I, I might have missed it, but I don't think you answered my question. What's the break-even price for soybeans in Iowa? You grew up on a farm. You should know this. Uh, I think you had asked about corn, and I, it depends no, I, on. No, I asked her corn. It depends on what field. the inputs are, but probably about five fifty. Well, you're a couple of dollars off, I think, here because it's ten oh five. So, well, we'll move on to something else. Uh. And well, I ahead. and. And well, I don't think Miss Greenfield answered either. But uh, <laughs> the price of corn, we'd ask for the price of soybeans from you, Senator. You want to take another crack at it? <laughs> no, thank you. You said the break-even for corn is ten fifty. I don't think that's correct. Right, that, that would have been for beans. Ron's question was soybeans or maybe to you, I'm not Ms. Greenfield, to corn to Miss Greenfield. Well, let's go ahead and move on to a completely different subject. Party. Well, if you're in a farming state and in a state where soybeans and corn and this is your business and you don't know the answer to simple questions, that's a problem. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And then, of course, also in the news, we had Kelly Loeffler aligning with Marjorie Taylor Greene, who we spoke 
in depth about last week and her ties to QAnon, an article in the New Yorker that Charles Bethay wrote. And now Kelly Leffler and Marjorie Taylor Greene, they rolled out in a Hummer. I called it Thelma and Louise for racists because that's what it looked like. And they came out. Uh, basically, uh, it was a big love fest. Yeah, it was a it was clearly done to be picked up by social media and by the press. I mean, they kind of come in. There's a huge Marjorie Taylor Greene sign on this huge vehicle that looks like a military vehicle you know they pop out they're wearing jeans you know and it was it's just laughable because both of them are from the Atlanta area and they're trying to act like you know they're just Georgia mountain gals Hey everyone, this is Marjorie Taylor Greene, the next Congresswoman for Georgia's 14th District. I am so excited to endorse my good friend Kelly. We are going to be working hard for Georgia to save America and stop socialism. Proud to have Marjorie on the team. I'm excited for her to be the next Congresswoman from the 14th District. Together we're going to go to Washington and stand up against the radical left and fight for every single hardworking Georgian. Absolutely. Let's do this. Let's do it. Right. Let's not forget that Kelly Leffler has a $10 million mansion in Buckhead. Right, with like a dinosaur fossil in the kitchen. Yeah, that says, you know, just the average average Georgia woman to me. Well, uh, okay, so that's where we're going to lead into our next guest because... A lot of this stuff does become social media fodder where you can do something outrageous and then suddenly it does make national news. And I've become more fascinated with some of these direct mail pieces. Now, I haven't gotten them personally, but my in-laws have gotten these direct mail pieces in, in the St. Simons area that I think are downright offensive and racist And some of them are okay, and they're just opposition research. And I've gotten a couple of those in the Atlanta area, but some of these are real low blows. So every time I get one of those, I'm like, Jen, what does this mean? And I'm like, please send it to me. Let me look at it. And someone sent a a nasty one out about you. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's kind of just part uh, part of the game that they play. The problem is, is that when you have low information voters who will look at a mailer and believe it without questioning, right? So that is always the concern as a candidate that you're not going to have the opportunity to rebut a false claim, you know, but you just have to, you just have to have a little bit of faith in the voters nowadays because it's it just, the negative just comes too, too quick and too fast. So a negative piece was sent out about Jen uh, and it, claimed you wanted to defund the police? It just said that I voted um, against a bill that helped the police. But the problem is, is that the bill is unconstitutional and actually may would prevent someone who intentionally kills a cop from getting life in prison. They may just get five years. There were so many legal issues um, wrong with it. So, you know, so it has a nice name. They, they put a nice name on the bill because they want to be able to use it for mailers and say that they're like pro-police. But then they don't read it and they have no idea what the implications are and how it actually is negative for law enforcement officers. So, y'all, you know, look, check your facts a little bit. Come in. If you have a question about anything I do, believe me, I will tell you exactly why I did what I did um, and give you as much backup information as you want. 
But at the end of the day, the picture of you was great. Well, that's what's interesting. And that's what we'll have to ask our guest, right? You looked so cute. Um, Okay, so let's find out more about these mailers. So because we've been getting just, well, some people have been getting lots of political mail, we thought that it would be a good idea to talk to an expert on it. Um, so we are welcoming Stefan Turkheimer today. Um, Stefan is a longtime friend of mine, but he also uh, worked as a political director, deputy political director to the Elizabeth Warren campaign for president and has worked on mail. I mean, Stefan's basically done anything um, that you can think of when it comes to political races in Georgia and especially Democratic races. And in fact, his The first thing he worked on um, in Georgia was when he was 14 for Andy Young when he was running for governor. So welcome, Stefan. Woohoo. Man, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here to talk about everyone's favorite subject, the mail they get on (laughs) a daily basis now. So yeah. Well, I was excited to talk to you about this because I spent a little time in St. Simons, Georgia. A few weeks ago, and my in-laws got inundated with these direct mail pieces, mostly from the Purdue campaign or whatever super PAC around the Purdue campaign, sending out these mail pieces. And there was one in particular. I did put it on Twitter. I will put it on at podcast vote on our podcast Twitter. That is a hologram of a family made to look like terrorists because of John Ossoff's radical agenda. And not only, I I found this anti-Semitic, offensive, and just flat out inaccurate. My question to you, Stefan, is does the Purdue campaign know about this before it goes out? Man, that is a great question. And it has to do with coordination between campaigns and committees, right? And super PACs. And the answer is supposed to be no but is almost always yes. So what happens is, is they end up sharing research. And when I say research, I don't mean like figuring out the price of soybeans or peanuts. What I mean is finding out negative things that you can use about the the opponent and also things about that they can use about you. And so what happens is, is like before what's called the wall goes up when they can't talk to one another, they talk to each other all the time. And what Purdue says is like, I'll run the positive ads, the ones that are like me in the jean jacket, like walking through a field, which he does once every six years. And then you take all the negatives, you meaning Mitch McConnell, you meaning the Republican committees, you take all the negatives and you hit them with the negatives. That way I don't have to touch it. And so they know exactly what they're going to do, but they have that conversation before the wall goes up. And then after that, they keep their hands clean. That's the goal. But I'm curious about this because because I find it, you know, it says John Ossoff's company produced nine films for Al Jazeera, an organization with ties to terrorism in the Middle East. We know that's not true. Al Jazeera is a news network that is just not factually true. But can you put it on Senator Purdue to denounce this kind of racist mailer saying this didn't come from my campaign and I don't endorse it? Why doesn't anybody hold his feet to the fire about that? Yeah, they're just going to get the response that I had nothing to do with it. That's a different organization, whatever else. And John Ossoff needs to answer for whatever it is he did before. 
right? And so it's the sort of thing that, that makes it seem like what they're saying is basically true. And also, I didn't have anything to do with it. So yeah, people should hold his feet to the fire. He's still going to sort of deny the connection and take the benefit of it. But the saddest part about this thing is it really tells you that that's the only hit they've got. Their only hit is this sort of bank shot. Um, like dubious terrorist claim. Yeah, it's it's completely made up. And it's, yeah, it, but, you know, it does a nice Republican trifecta, right, of anti-Semitism, sort of scary terrorists, and also um, sort of like various strange visuals about what they're going to do to the American family. And that's that's a nice Republican trifecta. So they're thrilled about this. When they can go three for three and then include a hologram, everyone loves holograms. So, yeah, I mean, you know, this is a good mail piece for them, even if it's defamatory, anti-Semitic and all the things that are against America. So in terms of the hologram, I mean, as a candidate myself, I've sent out mail and I know how friggin expensive it is. And so, like, how expensive would a piece like this be to produce and send out? That's a fantastic question. The reason they can use a hologram on this piece is because the universe is so huge. So they're sending this to probably 300,000 people. Wow. Wow. And because of that, the piece cost gets relatively low. And so when you're sending it to a universe of, say, 20,000, your piece cost is still relatively high. Um, and that's basically a state senate. Um, level universe, right? State House universe is even smaller than that. So their peace cost is even higher. But in US Senate races, that's where you get the absolute cheapest mail. Um, and so you can put a hologram on there and your cost per piece is not ridiculous. But also when you're just taking money from all kinds of ridiculous industries that want to pollute the, uh, the environment, they have lots of money to give you. And so Mitch McConnell isn't really hurting for money. And so, uh, yeah, so he can put a hologram on everything. It's, it's not something a normal campaign will be able to do, which is, which is unfortunate because as someone who really enjoys designing mail, you want to have access to those various things. Um, we did do, uh, two years ago, a League of Conservation voters mailer where we used special ink to replicate oil and to show people how oil was infiltrating uh, these various neighborhoods and wetlands. Um, and the ink itself was actually slightly sticky. And so the, it would sometimes stick to another piece of mail and they'd have to pull it off. And it forced people to interact with the piece more, which is kind of what you want. Because the thing about mail is, even though I think it's a piece of art that you're getting for free in your mailbox, most people think of it as, you know, shortly going to be trash. But on the way to being trash, on the way to being trash, on that journey, it has a few seconds to get its information into your head. And if you have to remove another piece of mail from it, that's another two or three seconds. So all of those little things that you see on a piece of mail, whether it's a hologram, whether it's a cutout or any of those sort of things, that's giving just a little bit extra time for you to get that message into someone's head. So, you know, well done on the hologram. It worked in Star Wars. It'll work now. So one question, Stefan. So a lot of folks that listen to us are not politicos, right? I'm not. a. I mean, I'm a, an elected official, but. I don't work in politics. Um, you indicated, you kept talking about the universe. What do you mean by the universe? I mean, kind of in a very elementary way, you know, if, if no one knows what that means, what does it mean? That's a really good point. I don't mean this in the Stephen Hawking sense. What I mean is the number of people that you're attempting to communicate with in your race. Um, and so when you're thinking about a 
political race, right? You can look at the district and you can say, okay, how many voters do I have to win to win this district? Obviously, I need to get 50 plus one. How many votes is that going to be? And that's sort of what you think of in terms of your win number, right? And so in order to achieve your win number, you're going to have to talk to at least that many people, probably more, in order to convince them to vote for you. Now, some people you may just expect to vote for you. The hardcore Dems probably going to vote all the way down the ticket for you. But there's a lot more people that can that may go to you if they hear about you. And so your universe has to sort of address both of those things. Now, universes are not always it's not always the same number of people for every piece of mail. Sometimes mail is going to people that are more likely to support you and are caring about the issues you care about. And sometimes mail is going to people that are less likely to support you and less likely to care about the issues that you care about. So, like, for instance, you talk about that anti-Ossoff piece of mail. That anti-Ossoff piece of mail is probably going to Republicans who are becoming frustrated with uh, Trump. Uh, but are still hopefully available to the normal Republican fear messaging. And so you've got those people are in danger of, de- of ballot drop off. So either they'll go and vote for Trump and then leave or they won't vote at all. And they're mad about Trump and whatever else. So the only way to really get them back, the only thing that's working in their poll is fear messaging. There's nothing there about Purdue that's working, right? So there's a group of people, probably what we call low motivation or low propensity Republican voters, right, that are getting that piece of mail because they're worried that they're going to drop off. So your universe can be one of, can be like all of your people you're trying to get to vote for you, and then some people you're trying to get not to vote for your opponent, that sort of thing. Has there ever been an instance with a direct mail piece where there's been litigation or really like I, I I go back to I think where it was the McCain Bush when they were sending out propaganda piece about McCain's adopted daughter who's black and they were sending about these horrible mail pieces. Can and can people actually sue? for this kind of stuff. And what made me think about it is this Doug Collins mailer that I don't know that I showed you sent out by Kelly Leffler's campaign, where it's a photo of Doug Collins hugging Stacey Abrams as if she's a bad, he's a bad person for hugging a black woman, which is my takeaway from it. So back to my question is, can someone take legal action? Does that happen? Yeah. Sometimes there's a defamation or a false light claim. The thing about it is that most campaigns, uh, if they lose, no one cares about them, right? And if they win, I mean, what's the, what are your possible uh, remedies? Because it, it generally, a court case is much longer than a campaign. And so they don't necessarily work that well. The exception is when you get to hit people who are running it through a, the, the party, right? Or, or a, a long lasting committee. Um, and so like, if you look at the return address on a piece of mail, You can see where it came from. And those people should be responsible for the message. Um, PACs like pop up and then disappear. So they're very hard to hit. The parties themselves can can continue. Generally, they're going to have a reasonable basis for the thing that they that they're saying there. And they'll often put sites on the bottoms of negative mail pieces. Most Democratic campaigns do that. But we play by a higher level of rules than they do. And they may disagree about that. And they're just wrong. But mostly you can get sued for defamation. It does happen. It's rare. The other thing about mail, especially, is to your point, the reason you've seen this is because you were at your relative's house in St. Simons. 
Mail isn't on TV. There's no necessary public record of it. You don't have to make it in most jurisdictions. You don't have to make a copy of it and put it on file, which means most people don't unless they were the targets. The targets themselves are unlikely to sue you for defamation. So it's tough for people to find out about it. Um, by the time legal gears are so slow that they're unlikely to stop it. Once it's in the mail, it's in the mail. As it like the difference there, the major difference is say a TV commercial. TV commercial gets aired once. You see it. You send a letter to the station saying this is defamatory. If you run it again, you're going to be responsible for the message. They take it down, and then that's the end of the TV commercial theoretically. That's a big difference between that and mail, because once mail is in the stream, there's nothing you can do. Well, and also from a legal perspective, it's a much higher burden. You almost have to show intentional that we intentionally, the candidate or this committee or whatever, intentionally lied about the other candidate that they're attacking. And that's why they a lot of times you do see sites just to kind of anchor stuff um, so folks won't come after them from a legal perspective. But that that's more, you know, Stefan's a lot more right on that. Do you think that direct mail in a weird way is more effective now because people get less snail mail? So when you actually get something in the mail, you're just, and especially if you're older, you, you are more like consumed with your mail. Um, and I'm speaking on behalf of my husband who is obsessed with mail every day. I got to get the mail. So does it, does it carry a bigger impact and how come I'm not seeing more mail for democratic candidates? Oof, man, those are two really good questions. First of all, shout out to your husband for being a real American <laughs> because there's nothing more American than the United States Postal Service. Yeah. So there's all kinds of studies that actually say that millennials really enjoy getting mail and part of that is because they, and I mean this with all due respect to millennials, um, they've had a rough time. They had <clears throat> the 2008 contraction and they have this one. They don't have a tremendous amount of money, which means that there's not a ton of people trying to sell them stuff constantly. So it's really credit cards and political mail. The credit cards are in like, you know, windowed envelopes. They say, you must open. That's no good. I mean, look at this thing. This is so much better. <laughs> when you look at an actual mail piece, it's going to have an image that grabs you, a headline. It's exciting. Bad mail pieces are everywhere, so those don't count. But the ones that are good should grab you and should be excited about. So, yeah, um, I actually think mail is pretty good. The other really good thing about mail is that when you think about who voters are, you go off of something called the voter file. And the voter file is the state's record of what they know about you. Um, and the base voter file has your name, your gender, your race if you're in the South, wherever the VRA was, uh, and your address, which means the best way of targeting those people is based on what you know about them, which is their address. So when you're sending mail, that's where they're registered, that's where they get mail, that's the best place to hit them in some ways. Digital is awesome, but you're never gonna get 100% match. So let me ask you this, Stefan, like, especially as we get closer to election day, you start to see um, these mail pieces really start to come in like every two days and like every two days, it's going to be the same candidate just back to back to back. So what's that about? Yeah. Repetition equals permanence, right? I mean, like if you get the message to someone over and over and over again, it should each piece supports the one before it and sets up the one after it, right? So you think about these whole thing as a messaging arc, yes, but also the various, the, the specific mottos that each person has, 
you're trying to inculcate that in someone's head. And sometimes they miss a mailer and you have to like, you know, make it last four days. But the reality of the situation is, is that people forget the message. They forget the people, people's name ID goes down, all those things. So you really generally think from election day out and try and hit basically twice a week as far back as your budget allows. Things have changed slightly because of early voting and absentee voting, which is somewhat pandemic related, but there's also been a trend towards early voting over time, which means you have to space out your mail uh, even earlier. And it's part of the reason why digital is actually coming to the fore in some ways, because it's you can lay on digital with the same message for a longer period of time. But yeah, that's the whole idea. The whole idea is to break your mailbox. But the secondary plan is to try to keep one strong message about that candidate all the way through so you can define yourself. The other side doesn't define you and you can define them. That's the goal. In terms of negative mail pieces, from your perspective, are there negative mail pieces that work better than others? Yeah, I absolutely think this. And now we're going into my minority view of negative mail. The thing about negative mail is people get the wrong impression of what it's attempting to do. They first off, they think that the goal of negative mail is to get you to switch your allegiance from the candidate who the mail is about to the candidate who sent it. It's really about lowering their enthusiasm and interest in the candidate who the mail is about. So to get them to skip that race or not show up or not give them money or not be excited about them, not volunteer, that sort of thing. The goal is to lower their interest there. So one of the interesting things about negative mail to me is that it really can go under the radar. Like you were talking about, if you're really micro-targeting a very specific universe, me as a candidate may not ever know that there is this really awful, horrible mail piece out there about me because it's not going to go to people who support, you know, Jen. So that's that's what's really kind of fascinating that that, you know, you can really attack people and them not even know that it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And the smaller the campaign, the more likely that is to happen. It's harder with Ossoff because if you're sending 300,000 mailers, you're going to miss. And but if you're in a state Senate race and I'm only trying to hit, you know, um, a few people who I'm trying to persuade one way or the other. Yeah, I might not miss. And if I don't miss, that means that nobody who isn't receptive to the message gets it. Um, and that's tricky because a lot of times you're sending your negative message to your opponent's people. And when that happens, you got to make sure that that thing is buttoned up um, and isn't going to go the wrong way on you. Since you worked with Elizabeth Warren, can you help us get her as a guest on this podcast? Oh, I'll definitely I'll text her as soon as we're done. She uh, she actually might do it. She is the most. The thing about Elizabeth Warren is there is there's absolutely no pretense there. Like she is exactly what you think she is. She's super excited to talk to anyone who wants to talk to her. She will talk about policy until like you really, really want to go to sleep. It is <laughs> amazing. So, yeah, honestly, she might do it. Okay. Do you think that she, if should Biden win, do you think she's going to be appointed in the administration to do something? I think it's a really good question. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that talk about her uh, as Secretary of the Treasury, and I think that would be perfect for 2012 Elizabeth Warren. But I think that her interests, her policy interests, are so much wider now, um, and she cares a lot more about equity 
of people that are not even in that, that just the banking system, uh, then more than just the banking system touches. I think she would prefer to get something like attorney general, or if we have the U.S. Senate and she becomes the major pusher of the policies of the U.S. Senate, I think she would do that at least for a couple of years and then replace whoever um, left the attorney general position after the first term. That's fascinating. Thank you. Thank you for joining us, Stefan. Everybody can follow Stefan Turkheimer on Twitter. He's great. He's interesting. He's spicy. And um, he'll lay it all out. He'll uh, analyze those direct mail pieces. You've got them on speed dial now. Thanks, Stefan, for giving us some time today. Thank you guys so much. So in other Georgia political news, recently we had Donald Trump Jr. come to town to a Cobb County event. And clearly, this event was in violation of the rules that are in place for COVID, which was sort of shocking to see the governor there, the attorney general there. It seems like the rules apply to everybody except them. Yeah, I mean, it's disheartening, right? We've seen our COVID rate go down, right? We had the spike and then we kind of took control of it because the mask mandates kind of went into effect and we were able to get it down. We were able to get our hospitalizations down, but we've started to see a steady increase in the last week or so, about 6% increase um, that was even noticed by the White House task force. So it's incredibly concerning that uh, the Georgia GOP and the Trump campaign tend to just flout the rules and flout the law while the rest of us, you know, are supposed to just sit back and obey. So you had that, which was annoying. Trump Jr. signing autographs. I, I mean, okay. Then you had Ivanka Trump come to town to do a fireside chat with Senator Perdue, which I had to laugh because it's not cold and there was no fire at all. Uh, but they did a chat and then they they haul her off to downtown Ackworth and she's wearing like a tight pencil skirt, stiletto heels and a mask. And she's sort of waddling in with her tight skirt and they force her to make a pizza at this pizza place. A lot of activity in Ackworth today. Not only did about 70 people attend Ivanka Trump and Senator David Perdue's event, but another several dozen people were surprised to see the president's daughter making a pizza at a nearby shop. I hear you make incredible pizza. <laughs> making pizza in the peach state. The president's advisor and daughter met several people who live in Ackworth Tuesday, while the owners of Pizza by Fusco's told her the PPP loan kept their doors open. Yeah, it was pretty clear that she doesn't spend a whole lot of time in the kitchen. It is probably one of the the funnier, you know, pictures or, or, or video I've seen from some of these political things. It was pretty unbelievable. But, but again, if you looked at that event, definitely not everybody wearing masks, definitely a lot of people together. Uh, as we all know from the Amy Coney Barrett White House super spreader event, these are events that are spreading sickness around. So that's, and you know, when we also, I'm still crazy about the Mark Meadows wedding that happened at the Biltmore in Midtown in May. We were in the height of COVID and, and there's still no comment from the Kemp administration. It's maddening. Well, and then today, and of course, y'all are going to be listening to this next week when we drop it. But Friday, you know, 
Trump is coming to to Macon. And uh, the contract that the Trump campaign entered into with Macon-Bibb County, the government there, expressly states that they understand that they're in violation of the governor's executive orders. So it's just maddening that... Um, you know, folks just aren't following the rules. And what ends up happening is pe- kids can't go back to school. People get the virus. And unfortunately, sometimes they die. It is maddening. Uh, my son is in Atlanta Public Schools. They're not going back till January. They're doing some sort of weird hybrid programs. Then you've got Decatur City Schools. They were supposed to go back. They ended up pulling back. And we're going to see this happening. It's happening in the NFL. We talked about it happened at Saturday Night Live. This is going to be an absolute fact of life for the next couple of years. And I don't say that lightly, but lightly rather. But I think that that's the reality we're living in. But to see people like this saying how safe and responsible they're being and look what's happening. And that's why we wanted to play this um, Tiffany Trump clip. Social distancing rules are challenging, but imagine families dealing with the loss of a loved one. Tiffany Trump painted the town red, white, and blue for her 27th birthday. Closures and for older students missing out on a lot of memories. Tiffany kicked off the special celebrations at several Miami hotspots. A complete halt to major celebrations like weddings. She and her guests were treated to a lavish spread of sushi. 60% of closed businesses won't be reopening. After dinner, the crew headed over to Kiki on the River for bottles of champagne. I can relate to so many of you who might be looking for a job. Believe me. So there you go, Tiff. Yeah, you know, I I think it's just really not a good look. I mean, people are really hurting. They're really frustrated right now, um, especially with the school issue. And to go off and, and just have a nice party down in South Beach, you know, because you're Tiffany Trump, you know, come on. That video was produced by mediastouch.com, and that's M-E-I-D-A-S touch.com. And they did a great job of sort of pulling that together because it's glaring, and frankly, it's gross. All right, that was a lot for us to talk about. And believe it or not, we could still go on another hour, but we know that you have shit to do. So we want to say thanks to our producer and editor, Christina Loringer. Uh, follow us online at Senator Jen, at Mara Davis, at Podcast Vote. Uh, vote her podcast at gmail.com. You can always email us. Our cover art is from Terry White and our music is from Terminus Records. We will talk to you next week. Everybody go vote. Go vote. <laughs>